Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 124 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to geek out together about one of my favorite attractions at Walt Disney World, Avatar Flight of Passage, which of course is the e-ticket thrill ride over at Pandora, the world of Avatar, at Disney's Animal Kingdom. We have kind of talked about Flight of Passage before. We've discussed some of our favorite Imagineering details in previous episodes of Imagineer Podcast, and I even have an episode including a binaural audio recording of the attraction way back in the day when I was first starting Imagineer Podcast and Flight of Passage was brand new. Since then, there have been so many details that have been revealed about Flight of Passage, and I've had the opportunity to experience it numerous times, so I figured I would come back and share a little more information and more particular a lot more information about this attraction because there really are so many details such iconic story-driven parts of the attraction and so much information that i've learned that i could not wait to share this information with you i'll of course include a binaural audio recording as well so you can enjoy hearing avatar flight of passage in 360 degree audio Before we jump in, I do want to give a very special thanks to our partner, WDW Magazine. You can learn more and subscribe to their print or digital editions by clicking on the link in the show notes below or finding the link over at ImagineerPodcast.com. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer Podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So, grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer Podcast. I don't know if I can even express how it feels to see something that I imagined suddenly made physically real. It's like a pinch me moment. We're literally on Pandora. On December 18th, 2009, director James Cameron debuted his long-awaited blockbuster film, Avatar. Much like Walt Disney, Cameron was a bit ahead of his time, a creative filmmaker who wanted to utilize the latest technology to tell stories. Having created early concepts for Avatar in the mid-1990s, Cameron had originally intended for the film to be released in 1999, but the technology required was simply too expensive for any studio to back. Letting the idea sit for eight years, Cameron patiently waited for the technology to catch up with his vision. After reaching an agreement with 20th Century Fox, Cameron's team spent four years and an estimated $237 million to develop the film. Fortunately, the time, patience, and investment paid off, 
Avatar went on to become the highest grossing film of all time, and it was the first film to surpass $2 billion in the global box office. In addition, the film was nominated for several Academy Awards and won three Oscars, Best Achievement in Cinematography, Best Achievement in Visual Effects, and Best Achievement in Art Direction. The film also won two BAFTA Awards, an Art Director's Guild Award in Production Design, two Golden Globes, including Best Director of a Motion Picture and Best Motion Picture Drama, and many additional awards worldwide. If you analyze the story itself, the film follows a similar plot to the 1995 Disney animated classic Pocahontas, a soldier in a distant land, or in this case a distant moon set in the year 2154, working for an enterprise seeking to exploit a local natural resource, falls in love with a native leader and learns the true value of living in harmony with nature, later turning his back on his own company to fight a war alongside the woman he loves and the culture he adopts. The story is gripping and dramatic with some creative twists, but its underlying premise is not entirely original. While some criticize the film for this somewhat borrowed, although not entirely unoriginal storyline, critics often fail to grasp why the film is so popular, award-winning, and celebrated. The imaginative world-building, stunning visuals, and innovative technology make audiences feel an emotional connection to a science fiction world in a way that also helps them appreciate the value and vulnerability of their own planet. Regardless of how you feel about the movie itself, the film definitely made an impact around the world, so much so that four sequels are currently being developed by James Cameron and his team. With such tremendous box office success, it's no surprise that Disney CEO Bob Iger had his eye on this project. He felt that the story would be a natural fit at Disney's Animal Kingdom, and as we'll soon see, he was right. Less than two years after the film's debut on September 20th, 2011, Disney announced that the world of Avatar would be coming to the Disney parks. In an online article, Disney Parks blog shared that, quote, Bob Iger and Tom Staggs just announced a long-term creative partnership with James Cameron's Lightstorm Entertainment and Fox Filmed Entertainment to bring the fantasy world of Avatar to life at Disney parks and it'll all begin at Disney's Animal Kingdom at Walt Disney World Resort." End quote. The article went on to explain that James Cameron, his producing partner John Landau, and their team at Lightstorm Entertainment would serve as creative consultants on the project, working alongside Walt Disney Imagineering to dream up experiences that will, quote, "...take our guests deep into worlds of Avatar like never before." In summarizing the news, Disney expressed how, quote, Disney's Animal Kingdom is a great fit for this project because it was created to give guests the opportunity to experience the worlds of animals and nature, real and mythical, in new ways. Disney's Animal Kingdom also celebrates adventure, living in harmony with nature and environmental stewardship, themes that are deeply rooted in the story of Avatar, end quote. With such an ambitious project at hand, there was only one Imagineer who could confidently integrate the creation of this land into the fabric of the park, Senior Vice President and Portfolio Creative Executive Joe Rohde. Ironically, Joe was at first a bit unsure about this project. On Season 1, Episode 6 of The Imagineering Story on Disney+, Joe Rohde explained his thought process, and here's what he had to say. 
I did not have a clear way of understanding how Avatar was even possible to do. People love the movie, but is it feasible? Can we do it? It's all organic, so there's no repeating forms. That means everything has to be independently engineered, so there's no economy of scale. Everything is gigantic. It's tremendous investment of time. You have a world where things float in the air, which looks great in a CGI film, but I do not know how that could ever be done in the physical world. Joe went on to ask, What about this as a smart idea? But then I get it. Avatar is about the intrinsic value of nature. Avatar is a personal call to action, so it fits really neatly into the mythology of Animal Kingdom, even though it's a science fiction adventure. To help support Joe and his team, James Cameron and John Landau joined the Imagineers to develop the land. With a firmer grasp of how Avatar could integrate seamlessly into the park, the next step was to decide on the story. Like with all projects at Walt Disney Imagineering, the story for Pandora is not explicitly conveyed in a formal fashion. It's carefully woven into every detail of the land in a way that guests can discover, explore, participate in, and believe. To encourage guests to do more than just relive the first film, the Imagineers decided that the land would take place generations after the events in the movie, a time of peace long after the war between the Na'vi and human civilization had ended. This allowed the team to better focus on the message of Pandora and enabled guests to embark on their own adventure within the land. Much like with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the land doesn't tell the stories of the films, but rather builds its own story within the world created by the film. In other words, it does what The Mandalorian does for Star Wars or what Loki does for the MCU. It builds upon the events of the core storyline with a certain degree of creative freedom. So what exactly is the story of Pandora? It all revolves around a human base camp in a region of this distant moon, 4.37 light years away to be exact, called the Valley of Moara. During the time of the Great War, the Valley of Moara was once home to the Resources Development Administration, better known by its acronym, the RDA. In the film, the RDA includes the lead antagonists in the storyline, characters like Parker Selfridge and Colonel Miles Quaritch. Even if you've never seen the movie, when you visit Pandora, the land itself reveals two key takeaways about the RDA. First, that they lost the war with the Na'vi, which is made clear by nature overtaking abandoned RDA equipment, and two, that their motives involved invading and exploiting the natural world, which is made clear by the way its facilities cut into the landscape and is further explained in the Flight of Passage pre-show. In the film, the RDA is focused on and funded by the sale of Unobtainium, a highly lucrative resource found only on Pandora. This backstory from the film fits comfortably into the overarching theme and stories told within Disney's Animal Kingdom, similar to how Harambe's economy once relied upon the exploitation of local wildlife and the sale of natural resources like gold, spices, and ivory, but has since moved to a more sustainable economic input, ecotourism. You might think that the RDA might make the Navi think twice about welcoming humans back to Pandora, but as Joe Rohde explained in an interview with ABC News on March 10th, 2017, quote, We've been welcomed into the culture because of our motives. We're here to learn. We're here to educate ourselves. We're here to become better stewards of our planet. That's all thanks to an organization called Alpha Centauri Expeditions, or ACE for short. The origins of ACE are 
cleverly explained and one of the many details in Satuli Canteen. The next time you're in line at Satuli Canteen to grab a bite to eat, take a look at the wall opposite the kitchen. You'll find a letter written by Marshall Lamb, the founder of Ace. Marshall writes, and I'm going to quote the entire letter for you. Here we go. Board members, today is an historic day for Alpha Centauri Expeditions. After more than a year of negotiations, we have signed the Mawara Cooperation Pact with leaders of the Amatikayup clan and the Navi people of Pandora. This pact gives us long-term use of the Valley of Mawara to use as the home for our dream, opening the amazing world of Pandora to the travelers from Earth. Located deep in a tropical rainforest, Mawara has always been a crossroads, a place to gather, share stories, and to rejoice in music, and a place for adventure and celebration of the natural world through the power of Awa. In the Navi language, the word Mawara means a place to gather. How appropriate. There are a couple of key factors that also make this location ideal for our business model. One, this is an old RDA facility deep in the mountains that was built as a linking station for their avatar program. We believe, through a collaboration with the Pandora Conservation Initiative, that we will be able to bring this facility back online for guests to link to genetically matched avatars. Two, there is the possibility that we will be able to capitalize on PCI's work restoring the Banshee ecosystem and create an excursion that allows visitors to interact with these famed creatures. Only time will tell if that is possible. 3. There is a long section of the Capsavan River within the valley that is remarkably unique. The lushness of the rainforest around it creates a bioluminescent surrounding both day and night. 4. There is also an abandoned RDA facility that includes an old Quonset Hut mess hall and other outlying buildings. Our goal is to restore the Quonset Hut into a dining hall for guests, while the other buildings will be transformed into guest services buildings. Thank you all for your support in helping us reach this moment. I look forward to having you join me on Pandora in a few years to celebrate our opening. And that's the end of the letter. This letter creatively summarizes the storyline of Pandora, and it cleverly introduces the four main attractions within the land. Flight of Passage, the Banshee Rookery Experience Inside Wind Traders, Navi River Journey, and Satuli Canteen. If you look next to the letter, you'll also see a photo of Marshall Lamb. And while I was unable to find any official information about the photo, Marshall seems to look very similar to Avatar producer John Landau. There's also a framed letter handwritten by Marshall to his wife Julie, expressing his excitement for the whole family, his kids included, to enjoy the experiences in the Valley of Mawara made possible by Alpha Centauri Expeditions. Check it out the next time you're at Satuli Canteen. There are so many additional details in Pandora that we could, and at some point will, devote an entire episode to the land. But for this episode, we're now going to divert our attention to the storyline for Pandora's thrilling e-ticket adventure, Avatar Flight of Passage. Opening with the land on May 27th, 2017, Flight of Passage is essentially a flying theater attraction, a kind of advanced version of Soren. In fact, the concept for Flight of Passage was to create a kind of Soren over Pandora. James Cameron wanted the ride to be a gentle, Soren-like experience, while the lead designers at Imagineering wanted a heart-pounding thriller. James Cameron admits in a 2017 interview that they met somewhere in the middle. While many compare Flight of Passage to Soarin', it takes the concept of virtual flight to a whole new level. 
Before we discuss the ride system though, let's do what Imagineers do best and turn our attention back to the story. Marshall Lamb's letter reveals that the Flight of Passage experience is made possible thanks to a partnership between Alpha Centauri Expeditions and the Pandora Conservation Initiative, along with permission from the Na'vi. In the Avatar film, the lead character, Jake Sully, links with his avatar and is able to ride on the back of an Ekron, which we often hear referred to as a Banshee. The iconic scene is one of the most visually breathtaking parts of the film, and it also showcases a sacred ceremony for the Na'vi called Ikni Maya, a significant rite of passage that is a major step toward Jake becoming accept accepted into the Omotikaya clan. Not surprisingly, the Flight of Passage name pays tribute to the idea that this experience is a rite of passage, and the Imagineers ensure that your flight feels like a similar kind of sacred custom. Believe it or not, the Pandora Conservation Initiative is actually an extension of the RDA, which is a surprising twist. In the movie, the science team at the RDA is perhaps the organization's only redeeming quality. Led by Dr. Grace Augustine, a xenobotanist in charge of the Avatar program, the science team is aimed at achieving peace with the Na'vi. While the underlying motives for this peace are still a bit unscrupulous, negotiating with the Na'vi to leave their home so the RDA can mine for unobtainium, Grace and her team truly respect the Na'vi and aim to gain greater understanding about Pandora and Na'vi culture. In the end, they fight alongside the Na'vi to stop the RDA. The Pandora Conservation Initiative builds upon the ideas, motives, and learnings of Dr. Augustine's team, utilizing her lab, research, and perhaps most importantly for all of you listening, avatar technology. If you look carefully in the lab in the Flight of Passage queue, you can even find Dr. Augustine's book, Pandoran Botany, mixed with a variety of textbooks, a nod to the film and to the PCI's backstory. In the world of Avatar at Disney's Animal Kingdom, the organization is aimed at studying, protecting, and preserving the natural world, which is one of the many reasons the Na'vi support their presence. To further inspire generations to conserve the natural world, the Pandora Conservation Initiative has partnered with Alpha Centauri Expeditions to provide travelers on this distant moon with a uniquely thrilling experience, linking to an avatar and flying on the back of a banshee. As explained in the pre-show, linking to an avatar is necessary because humans approaching an Ekron would easily become their lunch. Avatars, which are created by blending human DNA and Navi DNA, are far larger than humans and thus can more easily ride on the back of a banshee without the fear of being eaten. The Navi support this program and offer to lead guests on this rite of passage because of our collective willingness to learn about their native land and conserve the natural world. In exploring Pandora from the air, the Na'vi also know that it will only further showcase the natural beauty and inherent value of Pandora, and anyone who has gone on Flight of Passage knows how much the beauty and wonder of the experience can often bring someone to tears. As with all modern Disney attractions, the queue plays a significant role in the story, and if you haven't yet had the chance, I strongly suggest taking a listen back to episode 97 of Imagineer Podcast, which is a truly in-depth discussion with two of the set designers for Pandora about the many story-driven details you'll find in line for the attraction. The queue begins in the heart of the Valley of Mawara, right below the floating mountains, as you gradually begin your ascent from the bottom of the valley. 
In reality, you're actually heading up to the third floor of the massive show building that houses both Navi River Journey and Flight of Passage, which draws so much power that the attractions have their own power station backstage. The ascent also plays into the idea that you're traveling toward the Banshees, which live high up in rookeries atop the floating mountains. If you look carefully on your way up, you might even notice one of my favorite forced perspective details. One of the most distant waterfalls way up high is not made of flowing water, but is a rotating wheel designed to look like flowing water. The reason this wheel exists is not just to conserve water, but also to convince your eye that the waterfall is farther than it looks. After all, if you ever look at a waterfall that's really far away, it always looks as if it's moving a lot slower than a nearby waterfall would because the distance it's traveling at that range appears to be far shorter than it really is, much like how a car weighing the distance would appear to be moving very slowly even if it's traveling at a high velocity. The Imagineers realized they needed a slower moving waterfall only possible through some practical illusions to create this convincing perspective. After completing your ascent along the hillside, you enter the show building for Flight of Passage, which first places you in the middle of an ancient cave. Here, you'll find walls covered with paintings from the Navi. If you look closely, the paintings tell the story of the Ikni Maya ritual, indicating just how deeply this experience is rooted in Navi culture. Before long, the path takes you around a corner through an excavated tunnel and into an open door that marks the entrance to the revitalized RDA facility, now home to the Pandora Conservation Initiative. The intentional aging of the queue gives a sense of just how much time has passed since the war, even though the setting for the film and for the land take place over 100 years into the future. With the airlock broken, we also get to see plant life reclaiming the facility not just outside but inside as well, which is a brilliant detail. And since the plants we encounter are in the dark, we catch a glimpse of the gorgeous bioluminescence of Pandora, which might even be our first encounter with the special effect if we're visiting the park during the day. As we walk toward the lab, we also find a sign labeled Mountain Banshee Project, which reads, you are entering a Pandora Conservation Initiative field site, working to study and reverse habitat destruction caused by unregulated RDA operations in the Valley of Mawara. In case you hadn't seen Marshall Lamb's letter in Satuli Canteen, or know the backstory of the attraction, as is the case with most guests who reach this point of the queue, this detail explains who operates the facility and why it exists. After some ascending switchbacks through bioluminescent plants, our journey takes us into the heart of the research facility housing the Mountain Banshee project. The lab itself appears to be active with so many authentic details that it would take the average guest several rounds through the room to see them all. Again, I highly recommend listening to episode 97 of Imagineer Podcast to get a small taste of what's in store here. The Imagineers went so far as to have working research scientists help set up the workspaces and to handwrite real lab notes in various languages. The details are truly extraordinary. Perhaps the most impressive detail in the lab is also the only animatronic on Flight of Passage, the famous floating avatar. This particular detail is one of the many reasons I love waiting in the standby queue for this attraction, as it cannot easily be seen from the lightning lane. In the beginning of the Avatar movie, Jake first sees his avatar floating in a transparent tube of fluid, eyes closed and even occasionally kicking, much like a baby in a womb. 
This life-size version is one of the most convincing illusions from Walt Disney Imagineering. And while many have speculated about how this illusion works, this is one of those mysteries that Disney has yet to reveal. Needless to say, it's an effect I could watch for hours, and whether you've seen the film or not, it's the closest you'll get to seeing an avatar in real life. It's incredibly lifelike and your first glimpse into what your avatar body might look like. Upon exiting this part of the lab, we enter the final room before standby merges with the lightning lane. This large space includes some rather fun details and nods to the film. The most apparent movie-related detail is a large painting of a Na'vi riding a banshee along a silhouette of two more Na'vi standing on the ground. The two on the ground are meant to be Jake and Neytiri from the film. Meanwhile, if you look toward the opposite wall, you'll see another indication that this was once an RDA facility. In giant bold letters across the wall reads, RDA, Resources Development Administration, Mining the Universe Together. If you didn't know the backstory of the Avatar films, this provides yet another clue about the mysterious RDA enterprise that seems to have vanished from Pandora, or more accurately, been forced out. This wall also includes a map of the Avatar facility and instructions for Avatar and operation safety. On yet another wall, you'll find another reference to the Avatar films, a basketball court logo which is a reference to the basketball court Jake runs past in his avatar body in the first film. On the final wall is my favorite part of the room. Up until this point, if you're not familiar with the attraction, you've seen only some subtle clues that the attraction revolves around the idea of flight, including some of what we've discussed. Here, you'll find a giant monitor labeled Banshee Tracking. On the left side of the monitor, you'll find a list of various guests, their matched avatar body, and their matched Ekron. In the middle, you'll see a live topographical map of Pandora, along with the current location of a few guests riding banshees in their avatar bodies. The map even includes wind patterns to further add to the realism. On the right side of the monitor, you'll see a list of various events, alerts, current time and temperature, and other data. To add to what you'll see on the monitors, this room also includes an audio track that plays live chatter between research scientists tracking guests on their rite of passage. It often reminds me of the Capcom chatter you'll hear in the load area for Space Mountain. For example, here's what you'll hear in the load area for Space Mountain. SSL, this is LD. Go ahead. You are go for Earth's side launch. Roger. All personnel switch to channel number two for status check. Park communication status is go. Global network status is go. Instrumentation. Instrumentation, go. Propulsion. Go. Facility. Go. Electrical. Go. Life safety. Go. SPO. Go. Meanwhile, here's a brief clip of what you might hear in the Flight of Passage queue. Checking 
Upon exiting this room, your journey takes you up a ramp or down a ramp toward the Genetic Matching Rooms, or GMR for short. I actually love the sounds you'll hear in this part of the queue, which really give the impression that you've stepped into a high-tech research facility. Guests in wheelchairs or anyone who might have difficulty climbing stairs will always be directed toward the lower ramp, which leads to the lowest, most accessible level of the attraction. Guests heading along the upper ramp will find themselves on the second level of the attraction and might even head up a set of stairs to the top level. This point of the attraction is where guests are sorted into one of the 12 pre-show rooms on the ride. Depending on which of the four theaters and three rows you're assigned, you'll find yourself in GMR rooms A1 to A3, B1 to B3, C1 to C3, or D1 to D3. For example, if you head down ramp, you'll find yourself assigned to room A1, B1, C1, or D1, indicating the theater letter, A through D, and the floor of the attraction, in this case, the first floor. Up to 16 guests can be assigned to each GMR pre-show room, so while the experience feels intimate for each group, the attraction can accommodate many guests at once. In fact, each number-letter combination from A1 to D3 leads to two pre-show rooms, a Part 1 and a Part 2 that we'll discuss in a moment, and 16 attraction link chairs. So if you do the math, which I have, that means that at any given time, there can be nearly 600 guests in the pre-show or riding the attraction. 192 in the first pre-show, 192 in the second pre-show, and 192 on the ride itself. Understanding the way this setup is designed provides a greater glimpse into how the Imagineers created a highly efficient attraction that still feels very personalized. Let's imagine for a moment that you're assigned to GMR room A2, seat number 8. That means you're located in the 8th seat on the middle level, second floor, of Theater A. Preparing for their flights in your theater are guests in rooms A1 on the first floor and A3 above you on the third floor. Since different rooms can load at different speeds, the Imagineers designed the pre-show to vary in duration without feeling like it's cut short or dragged out. If you're the last room in the theater to load and it's already taken quite a while for the door to close, you might get a shorter pre-show experience that only features the basic information about the attraction. If, however, you're the first room to load and the doors close quickly, you might experience additional features like a GMR decontamination sequence, additional information about banshees, or even a genetic matching error that needs to be fixed. The experience is automated by a computer to time out perfectly for all three GMR rooms so they all head into the second pre-show at the same time. To set this up, the Imagineers had to write and record various segments for the pre-show, including segments that all guests must see, and optional segments in case a particular room takes a long time to load or a technical difficulty arises within the attraction. During the pre-show, you're introduced to Mountain Banshee Project scientist, Dr. Stevens, who works on the Avatar program. Mimicking the somewhat spontaneous style that Jake records his Avatar video diary in the film, the Imagineers wrote the script for Dr. Stevens to feel unscripted, which is why you'll hear the occasional pause, um, and of course, everyone's favorite line, and, uh, fly. 
This style of writing makes the attraction feel less formal and more organic, adding to the sense of adventure. Many who have seen the Avatar film claim that Dr. Stevens, who's portrayed by comedic actor David Danapore, is one of the scientists from the movie. With the events of the land taking place generations after the movie, it's of course not true. But the Imagineers did an amazing job of selecting a performer who was able to incorporate personality traits that feel like a combination of Norm Spellman and Dr. Patel from the film. It makes the pre-show seem familiar and new at the same time. The first pre-show provides more information about the Mountain Banshee program, the Avatar program, the importance of Banshees to Pandora and their significance to the Na'vi, and of course, the rite of passage you're about to experience. The first pre-show is also where you are physically matched with an Avatar, utilizing some fun and simple special effects to make it feel like your body is being analyzed and scanned. Of course, the simple effects amount to no more than winds, lighting, and on-screen visuals. Before long, Dr. Stevens prompts you to head into the second pre-show room, where you'll get your final briefing before the ride. The second pre-show also includes a recorded video of a character who's the foremost expert on the Ekron and the head of the Avatar program, Dr. Jackie Ogden. According to her backstory, Dr. Ogden was the one who restarted the Avatar program and made Flight of Passage possible. She's also the author of a book called Ekron, My Connection, Life with the Banshee, that you can see in the lab portion of the standby queue. As a kind of nod to real life, Dr. Ogden is named after a real person named Dr. Jackie Ogden, who is the former vice president of animals, science, and environment for Walt Disney World. She retired in 2017, having dedicated her career to animal conservation, animal welfare, and education. So the not-so-subtle nod is an appropriate and admirable one. Meanwhile, the Dr. Jackie Ogden portrayed in Flight of Passage is played by Allison Blanchard, who you might recognize as having also played the computer voice on Mission Space. In her video recording, Dr. Ogden discusses the significance of the rite of passage you're about to undertake, including its importance to the Na'vi. She also mentions a few of the challenges you might encounter, hinting at some potential thrills ahead. The video also includes a safety briefing that explains how to board the link chair, which is a unique design for an attraction. In the briefing, the technician also references the psionic amplification process that makes it possible for you to link with your avatar, advancing the idea that you're not physically riding an Ekron, but utilizing a kind of psychic neural connection to not only control but also see, feel, and experience what your avatar body is experiencing on its flight, even if that avatar is thousands of kilometers away. In other words, your body never leaves the facility but the link chair makes it possible for your mind to connect with your avatar, which is the same premise used in the Avatar film. Dr. Ogden concludes the second pre-show with a Navi phrase, Siva Ko, which she explains is translated to rise to the challenge. At this point, the guests in all three GMR rooms in your theater, one on each of the three floors, proceed into the main theater for the attraction. I'll explain its genius design in a bit. In terms of the storyline, you're now entering the link chamber where your body will connect with its avatar. After placing any loose articles in the bins in the back of the link chamber, you proceed to your link chair, finding the number you were assigned back in the first GMR pre-show room. 
The link chair itself feels a bit like a wide bicycle seat close to the ground, so you straddle the seat and move all the way forward against the chest pad to get ready. Moments later, the safety restraints are engaged against your back and behind your legs, which keep you firmly in place. Once your link chamber is secure, a computer monitor activates in front of you to keep you entertained while you wait. It also adds to the development of the story, showing the avatar you've been matched to, the banshee you'll be riding, and the progression of the psionic amplification process. You place on your 3D glasses, better known as your flight visors, and your rite of passage is now officially about to begin. Once all theaters in your link chamber are secure, the ride sequence begins with some special effects to make it feel like you're being linked with your avatar. The lights dim, the mechanical sounds intensify, lights flash, your seat vibrates, and a large door opens in front of you to reveal the tremendous IMAX screen, which first portrays the same visual shown in the film when Jake links with his avatar. From here, in a matter of less than three seconds, your link chair seems to somehow magically transform into an Ekron. Of course, if you look down at the chair, you'll notice it still looks like the same link chair, but with your head positioned forward, looking at the screen in front of you, you can truly believe you've just linked to your avatar as you begin to feel the wind on your face, feel the banshee breathe against your legs, and get the sensation that you're now on the back of a wild animal. Looking in front of you, you'll notice you're now on the back of a banshee perched hundreds of feet in the air on the branches of a tremendous tree. From here, your Navi guide flies out in front of you on the back of her own Ekron. As the Navi drums sound, your banshee leaps off the tree to follow your guide as you dive down toward the ground. Here, the ride system kind of shows off as you truly do get the sensation that you've just dropped hundreds of feet. In reality, you haven't gone far at all. The first act of the ride feels a lot like Soarin' Over Pandora, although a much more thrilling version. You hear the sounds of nature and wildlife and feel the breeze on your face as your banshee dives over waterfalls, banks around branches, and glides gracefully through the air. All the while, the feeling of the banshee breathing between your legs, the smells, the special lighting effects that cast shadows throughout the theater, the mist effects that make it feel like you're gliding past waterfalls, and of course the carefully choreographed theater movements make it feel like you are really flying. Approaching the second act, you glide over a Navi water tribe and come face to face with a tremendous whale-like creature called a Nalutsa. You come to a halt as it leaps out from the coastal water in front of you, then race quickly through the center of a wave, of a wave created by it plummeting back into the ocean. Moments later, as you climb into a valley, your Navi guide sits perched on a large rock and shouts Siva Ko, at which point a great Leonopteryx, a massive bird of prey that feasts on banshees, comes swooping down from the mountaintops to try to grab your Ekron. Your banshee, of course, responds immediately and dives out of harm's way, but the Leonopteryx persists. Tribal drums intensify as you narrowly escape capture, diving quickly below and around rocks and then dropping quickly into a narrow cave opening in a nearby mountain. If you watch closely the next time you're riding, you'll actually see the shadow of the Leonopteryx on the rock wall in front of you, which gets larger and closer very quickly as you enter the cave, as if to show that you really did just narrowly escape a tragic ending. Here, the ride begins its transition to the final act, and is perhaps my favorite part of the experience. Your banshee, breathing heavily, which you can hear and feel, sits perched inside the cave trying to catch its breath. 
Your Navi guide has already made it into the cave and is waiting for you on her banshee as well. The quiet sounds of the cave provide about 30 seconds of serenity as you sit and watch the bioluminescence of the cave. It's also here that you can smell my favorite Disney scent with its pleasantly floral notes. Glancing up, you'll notice that countless wood sprites begin to gracefully descend into the cave and light up the entire room. In the film, wood sprites are pure and sacred spirits that are seeds to the Tree of Souls. Even if you don't know this backstory, the way this scene is designed gives you a kind of spiritual experience. Moments later, your banshee lifts off once again to follow your Navi guide out of the cave. Here, more than halfway through the ride, is the first time you hear any kind of formal music as the gorgeous James Horner soundtrack crescendos. You dive down through a cave tunnel and back up into the sunlight as the song reaches its crescendo, which is enough to give every flyer chills and perhaps even some tears of joy as well. The final act of the ride is often cited as a fan favorite. Here, high above the floating mountains, your banshee begins to soar back down toward the surface, proceeding through an upside-down aerial maneuver called a barrel roll. Even though the ride itself doesn't go upside down here, the way the ride system, wind, and visuals are choreographed together create a rather convincing illusion. For those of you like me, who suffer from motion sickness, closing your eyes for a few seconds here actually helps a lot and makes the movements feel more graceful and smooth. But even opening your eyes, they design the visuals in such a way that it isn't that intense, but does feel very convincing. As you near the end of the attraction, your Navi guide leads you down toward a Sturmbeast herd, which kind of looked like a herd of alien wildebeest, and you get so close that at one point your banshee needs to come to a sudden stop in the air and carve out a new path around the herd. You get one last grand dive along a hilltop as the music crescendos once again with some dramatic wind effects adding to the excitement, at which point the banshee begins to slow its pace and gracefully make its way down to the edge of the water, getting a gorgeous view of a Pandoran sunset as another Nalutza jumps out of the water. The moment is so powerful that I literally got chills writing this part of the podcast as I thought back on the experience. Your Navi guide, congratulating you on completing your rite of passage, shouts, Onatikame, which is another nod to the film. The, sa the saying translates to, I see you and is less of a literal translation and more intended to mean, I see you on a deeply spiritual level. Here, at the end of the experience, the psionic amplification effects happen once again as the large doors in front of you close. Within moments, the sudden change in the feeling of the room, visuals, lighting, and special effects seem to once again magically transform the world around you back into the link chamber. And the seat below you no longer feels like a breathing banshee, but a link chair once again. You disembark, grab your belongings, and exit the attraction through a series of tunnels out of the facility. At this point, it's worth calling out a few genius aspects of this attraction that make it one of the most thrilling, emotional, and some even say spiritual experiences at Walt Disney World. First, the team that designed the virtual ride path was personally led by Joe Rohde. Joe worked with Lightstorm Entertainment's motion capture technology, which was used in the first Avatar film, to choreograph the various acts, maneuvers, and experiences that take place over the nearly five minutes of the ride. Like a puppeteer, he and a few other lead Imagineers acted out the experience in a real space, which provided the first ride profile for the attraction. 
You can catch a glimpse of this technology by watching Season 1, Episode 6 of The Imagineering Story. With Joe working on the design of the ride experience, it's easy to see why it's so powerful. Joe tends to take experience design to a deeply primal level, so the attraction was designed in a very purposeful way to evoke the particular thrills, challenges, and joys you might experience on the back of a real flying animal. In addition, he inspired the Imagineers to create an experience that felt like a real ceremonial ritual, going so far as to visit places like Bali and Indonesia to see how real indigenous tribes live and to learn about the composition of their cultural rituals. This is one of the aspects of the attraction I would love to interview Joe about, because I know how much he must have pushed his team to incorporate authentic elements of tribal ceremonies. Needless to say, a few of the pieces that caught my attention are the fact that the ride profile features a guide, tribal drums, emotional music, beautifully choreographed flying maneuvers that almost feel like ceremonial dancing, challenging obstacles to overcome, and a sense of personal transformation that is realized at the end of the ceremony. Joe, I'm not sure if you're listening, but if you are, I hope I did your team justice with that analysis. The other genius aspect of the design of this attraction is that the story is layered. You can be anywhere from an Avatar fanatic to a person who has never even heard of the film and still understand the experience and get the same takeaways. That's accomplished by including a lot of story-driven details that help convey the story without requiring an in-depth knowledge of the film or the world of Avatar itself. You can ride through passively and understand as much as, wow, I really felt like I just flew on the back of a wild animal, or ride through actively, find every detail and its ties to the greater story of Pandora, and also exit the attraction to your saying to yourself, wow, I really felt like I just flew on the back of a wild animal. Disney legend and Imagineer Tony Baxter has famously said that he designs attractions for the person riding for the 20th time, and Flight of Passage is another great example of an attraction where the experience is the same, but the interpretation evolves with each ride-through. The final genius aspect of the attraction that we have to discuss is, of course, the design of the ride system. This brilliant flying theater system was designed by ride engineering executive Edward Fritz, who began with Walt Disney Imagineering in 1990, working on the ride steering and suspension for the Great Movie Ride and the off-road motion for Indiana Jones Adventure. Ed shared his experience in the One Day at Disney book on page 98. He said, They went through 14 prototypes for the seats starting with a cafeteria chair attached to a robot arm used to determine the ideal range of motion and progressed through fiberglass models to the finished steel reused in the ride. Joe Rohde asked him, can you build a machine that's so smooth and fluid it feels like you're on an animal? Ed responded that he could and got to work on creating that kind of experience. Each flying theater, there were four within the attraction as we discussed, is composed of two vertical ride systems with three levels. Each vertical system operates kind of like horizontal window blinds. The three levels are attached to a steel support on either side, along which is a mechanism that controls the vertical position of each level. Think of it kind of like a sliding system that controls the rising and falling of the theater. Hydraulic actuators control the relative speed and distance of each vertical motion, which provides the smooth sensation of rising or diving on the back of the Banshee. 
Meanwhile, each link chair, there are eight on each level on each of the two sides of the theater, is located on its own programmable axis. That means that each chair can independently bank in any horizontal direction in a full circle, banking to the left, right, forward, backward, or any position in between at various degrees of intensity. This independent axis system for each chair makes the ride feel much more personalized, and it ensures that every guest in every chair gets the same physical sensations on every level. The Imagineering team worked tirelessly to choreograph every single movement of the attraction, which required significant hours of work and testing to get it all just right. Timing the vertical movements with the independent axis rotations, along with the appropriate speed and distance of each motion, results in one of the most realistic virtual flight experiences you can find anywhere. The wind effects, scents, mist, lighting effects, banshee breathing effects, surround sound system, depth of landscape provided by the 3D technology, and of course, incredibly detailed high-resolution graphics work with the ride system to enhance the believability of the ride. The link chair itself is another element of the ride that deserves some extra attention. In the storyline, this one chair serves a dual role. Before you board and after you disembark, it's a link chair. So it has to look like a high-tech kind of chair and feel like a chair when you sit in it. During the ride itself, it's the back of a banshee, so it has to feel like a living animal. You really only see the chair when you're off the ride, so designing it to look like a piece of lab equipment was simple enough. And during the ride, you're experiencing the flying sensations creating, created by the ride system and the various effects in the room. So that, in some way, already makes it feel like a living animal. The Imagineers finalized the illusion by creating chambers below your seat that expand and contract along your legs to mimic the sensation of an animal breathing. The team ensured that you felt these movements by creating tight spaces for your legs and feet to rest, which also serves as a safety feature to help secure you during your flight. In addition, the Imagineers installed a haptic system in the link chair that physically vibrates to create various sensations from the banshee breathing to the psionic amplification process. Finally, the position you take while seated, which is a kind of forward-leaning position you take similar to if you were in a bicycle seat, creates a more engaging experience. Leaning forward is a very active position, kind of like how you might lean in to show someone you're actively listening or lean forward to observe something up close. It's how we naturally show an interest in something. So it's only appropriate that the Imagineers position us in a similar posture on the ride, which actively engages us in the experience. It creates a truly active rite of passage, one we feel a more personal connection to. And it also serves a purpose of making sure our attention is drawn to the screen in front of us so we're not as easily distracted by the other guests around us. They also went so far as to ensure that the peripheral vision, your peripheral vision, is kind of blocked out with the flight visor so you really are looking forward. It keeps us believing in the illusion we're experiencing. Each theater might seat 48 flyers, but we somehow still feel like we're the only ones there. Ed has a great quote that sums up his role, which I'd like to play for you from the One Day at Disney short series. It takes a special breed of engineer to enjoy and to flourish in, in Imagineering. To ask a typical engineer, hey, let's go build a machine that feels just like flying. 
might seem a little crazy, but flexibility to be able to roll with an idea that may seem a little crazy could turn into something real and pretty amazing. Not surprisingly, Avatar Flight of Passage remains one of the most highly regarded experiences at Walt Disney World. Over 3,000 people have rated the experience on Google, with an average 4.8 out of 5 stars and some truly rave reviews. That's a higher rated experience than Space Mountain, Expedition Everest, and Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. It's genius design, layered storytelling, gorgeous ride choreography, innovative technology, and thrilling sequences combined to create an unforgettable experience, one that I still would, and have, wait over two hours in standby to ride again and again. Even if you're like me and suffer horribly from motion sickness on motion simulators, you'll find the Imagineers had people like us in mind too. I will admit, the ride can be rough at times, so there are plenty of occasions when I might already be feeling even just a little off and opt not to ride. But if I'm feeling well and have my mind in the right place, I find that the experience is designed in such a way that it can push you to the limit but not really take you past it, balancing intense maneuvers with moments of tranquility, ensuring that the experience is so realistic that your brain is convinced it's real, which minimizes the equilibrium issues that trigger motion sickness, and even going so far as to include a break in the middle of the ride that accompanies the cave scene. Whether you've never experienced this attraction before or have been on it many times, I hope this information gives you an even greater appreciation for the ride. There are so many additional details we didn't discuss here, but this at least gives us a good sense of the tremendous work and care that went into its design. Fittingly, only a few years after the attraction opened, Disney's acquisition of Fox secured the rights to Avatar in the parks and gave Disney the distribution rights to the film, which you can now watch on Disney+. I find that the attraction has actually given me a greater appreciation for the film and the film in turn provides me with a deeper connection to the ride. And with four sequels on the way, I am so excited to see where Disney and James Cameron will take us next. At this point, I'd love to take you with me for a ride on Avatar Flight of Passage, utilizing some audio I recorded back in 2019. The audio begins when we enter the outdoor portion of the queue and concludes with the exit of the attraction. As with all binaural audio, I encourage you to listen with headphones or earbuds, if you have them available, to get the best 360 degree audio experience. But listening on speakers should still make you feel like you've set foot on the distant moon of Pandora. I encourage you to sit back, relax, and enjoy Avatar Flight of Passage. Sivako, my friends.
heading into the GMR? Yeah, I can see them now. We have new flyers loading in.
Pandora is a breathtaking natural world. I cannot wait for you guys to see it for yourselves. Okay, to get you flying on a banshee, we need to find each of you an avatar. Um, let's uh, prep the genetic sampling. I'm on it. Okay, um, first we need to find the compatible match of your genetic material with the genetic material of one of the avatar bodies that we already have. Once we do that, you'll be able to link to that avatar and uh, fly. <laughs> Help us out and move around a bit. Almost. Yes, got it. Now, let's find you your avatar matches. been matched with avatars. So uh, ooh, looks like they're ready for you in the next room. Uh, when the door opens, please go inside, all the way in, and stand <coughs> over the same number that you're standing over now. And, uh, and I'll see you in there. Thank you. 
Once the link takes place, you'll be connected to your avatar and sitting on the back of an Ikra. It'll feel like you're really there. Moments later, you'll begin your flight. A Navi guide will lead you out. You'll experience the breathtaking beauty of Pandora, but you might also face some of its greatest challenges. Some of this flight might be intense, but trust your guide and be brave. As the Navi say during this important rite of passage, Sivak Hope, rise to the challenge. Good luck. All right, you ready? Let's get you into the link chamber. All right, before we go inside for the remainder, absolutely no photography or video taping. One three is going to follow me, Attention drivers, stow your gear on the back wall and then get onto the link chair the way we showed you in the video. Then put on your flight visors. For your safety throughout this entire experience, remain seated, lean forward, holding onto the hand grips, and supervise your children. Para su seguridad, durante toda esta experiencia deberán permanecer sentados. Inclinarse hacia adelante agarrando las barras y supervisen a sus niños. Gracias.
and exit the link chamber. onto the link chair the way we showed you in the video. Then, put on your flight visors. For your safety, throughout this entire experience, remain seated. Lean forward, holding onto the hand grips, and supervise Thank you. with that we close out episode 124 of the imagineer podcast i hope you enjoyed this real deep dive into avatar flight of passage i have shared before how it's one of my favorite attractions at walt disney world i have of course mentioned how much i love the cave scene and i wanted to share even more details even just about that scene but i figured i would scale it back a little bit because there still is so much that was shared in this podcast episode. I, of course, want to turn the conversation over to you and hear what you love most about Avatar Flight of Passage. If you've been on it or not, even if you've just seen videos or heard about it before, tell me your favorite detail or your favorite part of the experience. It could even be the cue. Uh, no matter how you share your answer, you can reach out on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or LinkedIn at Imagineer Podcast on Twitter at Imagineer News, or perhaps best of all, you can reach out in our Facebook group, which is the Imagination, also called the Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, to chat about this subject and all things Disney with me and with other members of this listener community. And you can always send me an email at matt at imagineerpodcast.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, of course, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast app. That'll ensure that you're the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you have a moment to leave us a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store, even on Facebook. That does so much to help this podcast out. And I want to thank those of you who have already taken the opportunity to leave us a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store. Of course, the best thing you could do for the show is a very simple thing, and that's just to share it, whether you share out this episode, especially if you love Flight of Passage, or any other episode of the show, or even if you just engage with or share out our social media content, or simply talk about it with your friends who love all things Disney. That helps this community to continue to grow, and I am so thankful for those of you who continue to support this podcast through all of your efforts, whether it's just sharing out the show 
or engaging with our content. I would also encourage you, if you love Imagineer Podcast, I want to take that love of the show to the next level to look into our Patreon group by heading to patreon.com slash Podcast. There you can become a member of our Passholder community, which is a way that you can help to support the show financially and in return get exclusive perks, benefits, and rewards. Things like early access to every podcast episode, access to my podcast production notes, and boy, were there a lot for this episode, uh, access to a private Facebook community just for members. We do some really great virtual events. We did even uh, recently a, a drawing class with Imagineer, former Imagineer and Disney animator Timmy Britt. We learned how to draw Piglet and Gus and Emperor Zerg. It was so much fun. Um, you can get uh, bonus podcast episodes, daily exclusive content. There's just so much that's available to you. Um, it is subject to change depending on when you're listening to the show, but you can see what is currently available by going to patreon.com slash podcast or reach out to ask me about it. And thanks as always to all of our amazing Imagineer Podcast Patreon members. I would also encourage you to look into our partners. If you're looking for the latest Disney news, definitely check out The Kingdom Insider. You can find them over at thekingdominsider.com and The Kingdom Insider on your favorite social media channel. I love the way they present Disney news. It's done with such a great eye of professionalism and they fact check their information, which I love even more. Um, so you can get really the latest and greatest news in such a great way um, by checking out The Kingdom Insider. And the next time you're ready to book a vacation to, let's say, Walt Disney World, because now you really want to ride Flight of Passage or Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line or any other Disney destination, look into our travel partner, Academy Travel. They are a diamond earmarked agency that is a recognition by Disney. That is the highest level of recognition by Disney because they have been in this business for a long time, over 25 years and have a high level of experience and service that they offer for their clients and guests. And what's great is that it comes at no additional cost to you. They can help to plan out all the details of your vacation, help you pick out where to stay, and help you to even, in some cases, save money because they are aware of all the available discounts that may apply to your vacation. You can request a free quote from them by clicking on the link in the show notes below or by heading to imagineerpodcast.com and clicking on the travel dropdown. That will take you to a form to fill out that will, uh, if you fill that out, they will get back to you as soon as possible with a free quote, no obligation from there uh, for your next Disney vacation. Last but not least, I want to encourage you as always, as we have now turned the page to a new year, to go after your hopes and dreams, whatever they might be. I want you to really picture what your ideal life will look like right now. What is your goal? What is it that you want to accomplish? In It doesn't have to be this year, but in your life, what would make you happiest in the world? Take those steps backwards and think about what is that first step to making that dream could come true. It could be taking a class at a local community college. It could be reaching out to find a mentor. It could be practicing your crafts. could be even as simple as just getting more information about what it is that you want to do. Whatever that first step is, it's sometimes the hardest, but as you do it, the dots begin to connect in your head as you kind of carry your way forward and follow your gut and figure out what it is that 
um, makes you feel happiest and that would really help you to make your dreams come true. If there's ever anything I can do, feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to help. Um, but I want to encourage you, as always, to go after whatever those hopes and dreams might be. There's no better time than today to make your dreams come true. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Pandora is a world of adventure. When you finally get there and you really look around, you will see there's this little adventurous edge. You get the opportunity to see how important nature is to the Na'vi. They really value conserving nature, and that's something that we epitomize here at Disney's Animal Kingdom. It's about reconnecting an audience with that almost childlike wonder and appreciation that you have for the natural world and how it feeds our soul so that when you go to some other real place, you bring that with you. To leave with a different view on the world itself, amazing. I don't think there's any way to be ready for what you're going to experience. 